0: Okay, well, welcome everybody. My name's uh, Carl. I'm a, another one of the leaders here at the church. It's a bit confusing this morning, isn't it? we saying leaders and leaders, uh, but I'm one of the leaders, L-E-A-D-E-R-S, uh, who helped set up the church uh, a few years ago. So it's a great pleasure to welcome many of you who are visitors, and. Uh, yeah I, I think I love the way we do dedications. I, I I like the way we present children for the Lord. I love the family feel of it. I mean, we try and inject some sense of formality.' always difficult when you've got loads of kids running around and stuff, but i I do think it's a special thing when we bring children before the Lord. And it is a genuine prayer that we have. And I've often said it when I do the dedications that I feel we all we all have a responsibility to try and create an environment where our kids stand a fighting chance of getting to know Jesus. And uh, therefore those prayers and the blessing we pray upon the children, we you know, it's important to us. We really do take that seriously amongst all the, the fun and the informality. It's actually a really serious thing. And our, I, I think Dan said it. He said, you know, our kids are a blessing. And there was a rather muted, mm I felt, actually, when uh, when Dan said that. And uh, I looked at Michelle who said, well, only when they don't get you up early. And, and I in fact, I remember, uh, it, you, I always find with these sort of things, weddings and dedications, memories flood back. And I remember one time uh, when Emily, who's not not here today, but my eldest daughter, for those who don't know, is 18. And it was, she's always got up early, I mean, really early. I mean, I'm sort of an early riser, but she was a catastrophic early riser. I mean, like, like a 5 a.m early riser even when she got older and more sort of independent in the mornings and start making noise and playing in her bedroom and stuff and there was one time when i got in from work at about one o'clock in the morning and uh, and i heard emily stirring at about four forty-five, and i'm i'm now in bed feeling bleak i've bleak thoughts about my daughter you know i sort of tending towards the uh, murderous and uh, and uh, it's not good as a man of God. So I um, went into her bedroom and I, 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 and she's sort of there making noise and, and I, I went, What are you doing? What are you doing? It's just like, what? And I went, it's, it's not even five o'clock. I've hardly had any sleep. Why can't you just be normal? Why can't you just go back to sleep? Go to sleep! And Emily looked at me and went, Dad, I just want to live. And I thought, ooh, I felt this wave of conviction. Isn't that amazing? What I things that I just want to live. I All these memories coming back. There was another time with Emily actually when I was driving along with her and I made, I made a promise that she would never tell Karen this. But I was driving along with her and I gave her a bottle of orange juice with bits in and you know, yeah, bits or smooth. And kids don't like bits, do they? But I, the only one, she said, I want some more juice. The only one I can find in the garage is one with bits. And she was sitting on the front seat on a booster bit, and she was. It wasn't a, a safe. You know the um, what are the nozzle bottles where you can just sort of suck the juice out. Well, this is one where you just unscrew it. It's like a big open bottle. And then I break too sharply, and it still makes me laugh thinking about it. <laughs> And then I turned around and my daughter was covered in orange bits and like like a thick sheen of orange juice all over her face with orange bits like stuck all over her. It was like absolutely hilarious. So I looked at her and went... Pah-ha! Ha ah. and so she looked at me and went, Ha 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 It was sort of like laughing and crying at the same time. I was like, Oh, please don't be upset. I mean it's just orange juice bits. You'll look back on this one day and it'll be really funny. And she's going, ha, ha ha yeah, yeah, ha ha So I like got found an old tissue and, and wiped it off her face. And then uh, as soon as we got I went, and don't don't tell your mum yet, <laughs> because it's just like, you know, I break sharply to save you. That's why I broke, you know, that I had to. And uh, anyway, she got in first thing out of her mouth. Dad Dad, break too quickly and I got covered in orange juice. As soon as I got through the door. Or like precious memories, more like recent where um, like Annie and I took a little uh, foray into Amsterdam for a couple of nights. And uh, Annie's vegetarian, we went to one of his top vegetarian restaurant in Amsterdam and explored the city. And then Annie about 10 o'clock at night said, I want gelato. I went, oh. So I, I, I've come here for some gelato, which is a specific brand of ice cream. So we literally went walking around Amsterdam, couldn't find any gelato, and then literally by about, it must have been about quarter to midnight, so we were sort of hanging out, you know. Actually, I never told you it was that late. Did I, Karen? Anyway, it was about quarter to midnight, and uh, we turned the corner, literally like a hundred yards from our hotel, wasn't it? It was a gelato shop. And we managed to miss it the whole time. But beautiful memories. I mean, these, these are beautiful memories. Do you know what I mean? And when if you've got kids, and you're watching your kids grow up, these are, sometimes they feel a bit dreamlike, but they're beautiful memories. And it makes me wonder, what, what is it about humanity that makes us love our kids so much? You know, I, I mean, it's an open thing in our house that I never really thought about having children. I know some men really want kids. I wanted a Porsche 911. <laughs> I mean, I was quite open about it. But then one day, driving along, Karen said, I want children, and I went, OK. And um, later that afternoon, we had a child, which <laughs> um, uh, uh, is just, just beautiful. And, um, and I remember when they were born, both of them, as soon as Emily was born, and I held her in my arms, I fell in love with her. I never wanted kids. But suddenly, I'm in love with this little bundle of humanity. Like I really was, my heart totally softened, cut the cord and everything. I mean, I was really, just got into it. Got into the whole birthing thing while I was there. I mean, I've struggled with it leading up to it, but then I really got into it. I even had loads of gas and air. Maybe that's why I cut the cord. I mean, that is some good stuff. That is some good stuff. And then like the same when, when Annie was born, just these like, you have these amazing, overwhelming feelings. And I was just thinking of that, just watching the dedication. And looking at Jesse, lovely little lad, and you think, well, that's going to be a journey. You know, you're going to have hopes and dreams and aspirations, and there'll be heartache. You know, any of us who've had children, you know this. They'll, you'll feel pain that you can't take. You'll watch your kids cry, and you want to take it from them, and you can't. And other times, you will make them cry because <laughs> they've been out of order. And there'll be huge moments of joy and overwhelming feelings of pride and feelings of disappointment. That's what it is to be a parent. And actually I did, just, I did want to say this, that while I was praying uh, for Jesse, I don't get this very often, but um, I was praying for you at the front and I suddenly sort of faltered in my prayer because I thought I had a little picture actually, which I don't get a lot, but I, I had a picture of a, of a road, a straight road and then as, as in darkness and then along the road, the light started turning on and illuminating the road. And that's why I prayed that prayer about Jesse. I had this feeling, it, it almost like Jesse, bringer of light. Maybe would be somebody who brings light, you know, in whatever shape or form. We'll talk about it more of you later. But, and we all have all these feelings and prayers for our kids and all that kind of stuff. And it's a wonderful thing. It's part of what it is to be a human being that we... we we experience these overwhelming feelings of love towards our family and even our friends. But here's the remarkable thing of what we believe about human humanity or our family and our kids as a Christian. We believe that there's a God who loves Jesse even more than Matt and Michelle do. And that might be mind-bending for some of you, but actually that's the truth. There is a God who loves Jesse even more than Matt and Michelle do because he loves Matt and Michelle just the same amount and you know what he loves all of you just that same amount and it's utterly remarkable we have a God who made us and loves us and knows everything about us and I believe that we are and the Bible tells me this and I'm a big believer in what the book says I believe that we are all actually in relationship with God. And some of us have an active relationship with God. And some of us have a distant relationship or even a relationship where we don't acknowledge him at all. But God is still there. And one day we will all meet him. And that's what we believe as Christians. But God loves Jesse with a passion that is hard for us to even comprehend, actually. That's what we believe as Christians. And I've seen it. One of, my, one of my favorite uh, chapters in the Bible comes out of a book called Psalms, which are like songs and poems. And uh, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 139. And uh, a few years ago, I'd been reading that Psalm on the train uh, down to a meeting in London. And it was one of these meetings that was catastrophically dull. You know, for someone like me who is moderately or even extremely on the ADHD spectrum, I can't sit still for more than 32 seconds on average. A meeting that is drowning in extremely boring uh, spreadsheets, budget information and extreme detail, is like, I feel like my head's in a vice in the first 12 seconds. So in this meeting, uh, which was a, a meeting of national leadership, charity leaders, um, I, I got quite rapidly disengaged and I, I justified my escape plot. My escape plot was justified by me thinking, if I don't claim the expenses for the train fare and I don't eat the lunch, I'll sneak out early. So that's what I did. I escaped during a coffee break and uh, I had another meeting at two o'clock in the afternoon so I had a bit of time to kill, and I decided to walk to my next meeting which was about an hour uh, from where I was using my iPhone. Now I don't have much of a sense of direction uh, but I can I can moderately use uh, Google Maps. So um, I did that and I was walking along with my head down looking at Google Maps and, uh, and then it stopped working properly. And if you ever had that thing, I'm not sure if you still have to do it, but you have to do a figure of eight so, I'm walking through Mayfair in London going like this, like, figure of eight, trying to get my my phone to reorientate itself. People would have probably thought it was some, you know, Buddhist thing going on, but um, it wasn't, it was me, being, uh, trying to get my phone working. And uh, anyway, uh, the phone reorientated itself, uh, but I, in, in not reading the map properly, had actually taken a detour, which now, although i had been walking for 20 minutes, still had an hour to go don't know quite how I managed to do that, uh, but it rerouted me and as I walked past uh, quite a posh building there was a sort of uh, a Japanese looking woman sitting on the steps sobbing her heart out and um, I, I ignored her, I just walked on by. And this little, someone just actually shook their head at me for being so awful, but I, I'm i just being honest. I ignored her, and then, because I'm trying to get my phone working, I don't know. And, uh, and then this little nudge said to me, talk to her. This little inner nudge, stop and talk, and I'm like, oh, I, I'm not, I, you know, I need to get to this meeting, but okay. So I, I walked over back to this, the Japanese lady who was sitting there sobbing her heart out. And you need to understand, I'm from Essex. I'm a Romford boy. And, and I've tried to work on becoming more gentlemanly, but it doesn't always work. And I, and I looked and I went, are you okay? Which is my stupidest question to ask someone who's sobbing her heart out. Are you all right? And she looked at me and straight out of her mouth and you couldn't make it up straight out of her mouth she looked me in the eye and she said god has forgotten me since before the day i was born now you might think well that's to be expected because you're like a priest type person you're like a vicar type person and that's what people say to people like you no i was wearing a batman t-shirt this is not You know, I don't think I look like that. And I was genuinely wearing an old Batman T-shirt. When I turned up to the meeting, everyone was in suits. Thought I got that one wrong. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, I said to her, no, 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 why would you say that? That's not true. She said, it is. God has forgotten me since before the day I was born. No, 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 no. I said, I can prove it. I can prove it. She said, how? I said, look. I'm a I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I have a Bible in my bag. And in my bag, in that Bible, is a bookmark in a passage that I was reading this morning. And I think I was reading this this morning because maybe I was meant to meet you, because God wants you to know that you have not been forgotten. So I'm going to read you this this passage. It's, it's, it's a wonderful uh, psalm. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to talk about it for another 10, 15 minutes or so. And then we'll see where we get by the end. This was a psalm written by David, whose father was Jesse. You have searched me, God, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and me before you, lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I'll read on in a minute. But it's basically saying this. Whether you know God or not, whether you believe in him or not, he believes in you. And the Bible tells us that he knows every word on your tongue before you speak it. He knows everything about you. He knows every hair on your head or lack of. You know, everything. He's got that whole detail. It's what it says. Where can I go from your spirit, the Bible says? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, then there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. In other words, there is no dark place we could go where God won't meet with you. Nothing. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden for you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, would, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. And so it goes on. Do you know, I think you've got a choice in life. I think we have choices. We have a lot of choices. But I think we could distill it down to a couple of choices this morning. I've chosen from age 18, from a completely unchurched background, to believe what's in this, this book. And I believe that there is a God who made me and made you. I believe he made the heavens and the earth. I believe he made the universe. I don't think we came out of nothing. I've not yet met anything that came from nothing. I believe that things come from something and I think we have a creator God who made us. You might look in the mirror and think, I cannot possibly have made something so disastrous as this this morning, but he definitely did because the Bible tells about that. That's one choice. The other choice is you think there is nothing. And I find that to be a sad choice when I listen to people on TV and I read articles and stuff, I think, that's so sad. That stuff I was talking about earlier about Matt and Michelle's hopes and dreams for Jesse and my hopes and dreams for my kids and the anguish we face and the tears and the sadness, the joys, the sorrows, the triumphs, the disasters, the time you want to take pain off and all of that stuff, is that for nothing? Honestly, where does that end up? I've often said it, but I've buried a lot of people, professionally, <laughs> and uh, I, I have done a lot of cremations, and only once did I press the wrong button and start the music at the wrong time, only once, but I've done that a lot, and I've been with a lot of people as they're dying. I know this morning's about new life, but there is an end to life. We're all gonna face it, there's a 100% death rate on a human race, apart from Christ. 99.9% maybe therefore. It is appointed to us all. And what is that about? All those hopes, all those dreams, all of that, and then it comes to an end and there's nothing. I used to say years ago, because I've been doing this sort of thing for a while now, that, that we just become a faded photograph in a box that no one remembers. But now we've got JPEGs on discs. But maybe it'll just be a JPEG on a, one of those little, what are they called? Memory sticks. It'll just be forgotten at the bottom of some drawer. Because I haven't got a clue who my grandparents are. Great, great grandparents, I should say. I know that on one side, they were drunk Irish publicans. On the other side, they were Hungarian Jews, and that's it. That's as much detail as a great combo, isn't it? but that's as much detail as I've got. I don't know their names. I don't know anything about them. You've forgotten. That's a choice. And then you think, well, what's it all about? But I don't believe that. I believe there's a God who loves us, and who made us, and believes in us. So I'm there with this Norwegian, uh, Japanese woman, sorry, it was outside the Norwegian embassy. That's the point, that's the story. I was with the Japanese woman outside. She was sitting on the steps of the Norwegian embassy. And I said, "So it's not true." And I read her the psalm, and then I said, "What happened?" She said, "My boyfriend is an American soldier, and he's been violently abusing me, and I've run away from him. And I've got no money, and I'm, I feel like I'm alone in the world, and I'm a disgrace to my family." So what she said? And uh, and I said, I looked up, and she's on the steps of Norwegian Embassy. I said, "Why? Why? You know, why? Why? Why here? Why have you stopped here?" She said, "I'm Norwegian." She looked totally Japanese to me. It's so Norwegian. I said, Oh, and and we ended up short, long story short, we ended up uh praying together. I said, Well, can I pray with you? I'll sit with you for a bit. And uh we prayed. And I said, I said, how can this how can this thing move forward? She said, Well, I need to get into embassy, but it's locked. So I said, Well, let's pray again that you know that someone comes along or something happens. and... A very long story, cut, trying as short as I can, we prayed again that someone would turn up and a bloke pulled up in a diplomatic car about 10 minutes later. You know those limos, like the diplomatic car, the limousine, and the bloke got out of it wearing like Armani jeans with Ray-Bans on with a really nice shirt, he looked so super cool. And I'm like there, Mr. Disheveled Batman T-shirt oh. in an old pair of jeans and pair of like, you know, trainers. and uh, And I went, oh, hello. I said, I've been sitting with this lady, she's desperate to get into the Norwegian embassy. And Then he started to talk to her in, in Norwegian, I guess, and, uh, and they, they had a conversation, and uh, then she turned to me and she said, oh, he's going to take me in and we're going to sort it out and work out how I can get back to Norway. And, and then she turned to the man and, he, and he, she said, can he come in, can my new friend come in with me too to support me? And he literally looked at me with an air of Scandinavian disdain. <laughs> and he looked at me and he went, I can't do the axiom so he cannot come in. Like this scumming scum in Batman t shirt. Can't come in, I embassy. Like this. And they literally walked in and shut the door. I thought, well, that was a weird one. And that but I thought, well, that that is God. He hadn't forgotten her since before the day he was born. He hadn't forgotten her. Remembered her? And he had ordered it so I was reading that psalm on the train that day, and he'd ordered it so that my phone went wrong. I believe that. I do actually. I believe that. I believe that it was a divine encounter and God put me in the way to meet that woman and to pray and to bring a bit of comfort. And I've seen that time and time and time again. I could tell you another instance where one of Karen's favourite Psalms, uh, Psalm 42, is as the deer pants of the water. Was it your baptism? Was it given to you? Your baptism? Yeah. As a dear pencil, my soul longs after you and one of our dearest friends years ago had a catastrophic car crash and uh, a long-term friend, a wife of the the guy had a car crash, long-term friend of Karen's from childhood and I was sitting in a meeting when news came in he was dying in intensive care and uh, me and a, a fellow leader of the church, we dashed out in our car and went to the hospital. And I remember feeling really churned up because you heard he was dying. And, and uh, as I literally, as I walked through the threshold of, of the hospital, I've got this psalm of Karen's resonating through my head. There was an old song, actually. Do you know the old song, as a deer pants for the water. It's like one of those old, if you've been going around church things for a long time, it was like, people used to send it endless, to sing it endlessly, like all the time. It's a bit like this. What's the song we sang earlier? Um, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That would be like as a dear pants to the waltz in 20 years' time, because everyone used to sing it all the time. And as I went in through the door, I had that in, in my head. And, uh, and I saw the wife sitting outside in tents who came floods of tears and thinking her husband's going to die. And we, we sat down with her and we put our arms around her. And we just sometimes, you know what? You just got to say nothing. Sometimes you just got to be there. When after a few minutes of just sitting there, comforting her, I'd, I'd be prayed. and just said, as a dear pants of the water, so my soul longs after you, God. And she looked up she went, I've just been reading that. That's my favourite passage in the whole Bible. And it's just a tremendous sense of God's peace. And you might think, well, that's great, Colin, that these things happen and these interventions and stuff, but... That still means that stuff's happening, that woman was still beaten up and couldn't get home and that lady's husband was still dying, although he he did survive, you know, and and bad things happen and I face loss and where's God in that? How does that even work? And So Jesse's a young lad and he's going to die, where's God in that? And There's going to be pain in life, where's God in that? Do you ever ask those questions? Because I do. I ask those questions. But here's the thing, just to run through this quickly. At what point does God intervene or not? Like you could say, well, there's been a murder. Why didn't God stop the murder of that person? That amazing person who served the community and got killed. Why didn't God stop? It? And you think, do you know what? Maybe God should have done it. I don't get it. But then someone else says, well, my, my, my partner was assaulted or mugged. And why didn't God stop that? And you think... Yeah, why didn't God stop that? And then someone says, well, I know someone who slipped over in the bath and they broke their leg and they never got an older lady and they never got over it and they, they died. And and you think, why didn't God stop that? And then you start boiling it down you think, well, I tripped over and twisted my ankle. Why didn't God stop that? Where is the intervention? Like you keep boiling Do you see what I mean? You keep... You have the extreme example. Then we have the pain of daily life and things going wrong. Well, there was an intervention 2,000 years ago. There was. it was called Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, the Bible tells us it was nailed to a cross. And all our pain and all our sorrows and all the ups and downs and all the triumphs and all the disasters and all the things we do wrong, the Bible tells us that Jesus took it. And that's why we can celebrate Jesse's life. Because actually the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't just get a nail to a cross and take all our mess, which the Bible calls sin, not the S-Y-N of Weight Watchers, the S-I-N of Biblical Rebellion. The Bible says that Jesus took it. It actually says in Isaiah 53, another book in the Bible, we carried our infirmities and our sorrows. He took it so that we could have peace. As she says that, you know says he bore our sorrow so we could have peace and the bible tells us that it doesn't just mean that we can have life to the full now but actually that for those of us who put our hope and trust in christ one day we will meet again even after this life and that is a beautiful thing that is a beautiful promise life to the full now and life in eternity and that's our prayer for jesse and that's why it's so important that we create the right dynamic here, that he has a fighting chance of finding faith for himself. Because one day, and you've heard me say this before, those of you that come here regularly, one day we will die, and then we'll open our eyes, and we'll be in front of Jesus, and we'll look around. It'll be a beautiful place that you can't even conceive. It'll be amazing. And we'll look around, and Jesse will be there, by God's grace, and you lot will be there, and I'll bump into Nev, and Nev will be there, and think... Oh, we don't need Honda VFR 800s anymore, do we? Because we're in heaven. We don't need motorbikes to have a thrill anymore because we can do other cool stuff. And it'll be amazing. We'll be looking around and there'll be this mass of people that we love and we'll be together because Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago and intervened for the whole of humanity. That's what we believe. And that's why we're bringing Jesse before the Lord. And that's why we pray that other people discover Jesus Christ for themselves. He's such an important thing. And here's, here's the final thing I'll say. When we put our life, our faith, our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ, everything changes. Like, everything changes. You might not believe this, but everything changes. I've got a mate who sent me a message. I've been telling him about Jesus for 10 years. And I'll be honest, he's one of those kind of guys, like, it could be a little bit annoying by his own admission. He'd even say, why'd you put up with me? I'm really annoying. He'd go, yes you are, but I kind of like you, even though you're really annoying. He'd say, I am, aren't I? I annoy everyone. In fact, I annoy myself. That's the kind of guy that he was. But we hung in there with him, and I've been telling you about Jesus Christ since 2007. And in typical annoying fashion, he told me he'd given his life to Christ two nights ago by Facebook, and the Facebook message was, "Oh, just thought I'd better let you know, I've just got off the fence, and I'm in." So I thought that can only mean one thing. So I, t- I message back, "Do you mean you're in for Jesus?" And he went, "Yes. What else would I mean?" So now he started to get annoying again, and then, and then I put. How do you feel? And he put, good. And I went, anything else? And he said, I used to be so uptight about everything. But now I feel this incredible and remarkable peace. And that is the story of so many people who have given their lives to Christ. And that turns everything on its head. And you've heard me say it before, I had my hopes and my dreams and my aspirations. I had a list of things that I wanted to do. But when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, everything changed. But I tell you what I did find. I found a peace and a purpose and a hope that I never thought possible. The Bible describes it as shalom. Because of the intervention 2,000 years ago of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're about in this church. And that's what we do when we dedicate Jesse before God. And actually, one of the beautiful things for me this morning is that Matt and I are now co-collaborators in working together to bring that message of hope and transformation to as many young people as we can in some of the poorest communities across the UK because we believe in the difference that it makes. So I just ask you to think about it. And I'll stop there. Think about it. If you don't know, Jesus Christ, you are not yet taken that step towards him. It is the intervention to end all interventions. He died to give you a hope and a new life and a future. He knows everything about you. He knows every hair on your head, every word on your tongue. The Bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb. You are not the product of an accident. You are not. You are not a cosmic mishap. You are unique. Each of you is unique. There is never going to be anyone else like you. You are made for a purpose. No one is going to be like you. It will never be repeated. And the Bible says that each of you was made for a unique purpose. And we discover that when we give our lives to Christ. We discover it. It might take time, but we find it. And I guarantee you that at least a few people will be sitting in here with a little annoying itch, a thing that you can't explain. I'm like that to my family, an annoying itch that can't be explained. Constantly bouncing around the place, being annoying. But this is a deeper one. This is a cosmic itch, a thing that you cannot shake and it's like there must be more I know that there is more I feel like I've not fulfilled my purpose and there's something not right you ever feel that I felt that until the day I gave my life to Christ and I got it it's because I was made to be made by God to be his son and you're all sitting here sons and daughters he loves you so much and all you have to do he turned to him and say, Here I am, father. I'm coming back home now. It's what we're all made to do.